0: look at the whole, um, you're going to see all these verses do have something in common. As he's talking about wisdom and foolishness, really this is, for any of us, this is a good opportunity uh, to just take each statement and to ask yourself a question. And really, over this second half of chapter 7, um, I came up with nine questions that I'm going to ask you for tonight, and five uh, we'll cover next week. But we're going to be talking about Uh, just kind of taking a break and looking at our lives from a distance and seeing how we're doing with Christ. When Tara and I were uh, on vacation last week, we went to uh, Pensacola, Florida on one of the days. We were going to um, a naval museum there. There's a really cool a museum that has tons and tons of airplanes and that's where the Blue Angels are and so that's where they, they live and um, if you've never seen the Blue Angels they're like little fighter jets that do all kinds of tricks and stuff and so we're going to take Silas there hoping uh, that we'd see him practice and whatnot but even if you don't see him practice there's hundreds of airplanes and it's just it's just crazy awesome even if you don't like airplanes you're going to think it's awesome so we showed up at like nine in the morning because they that's when they open and they got a huge parking lot and we uh, knew, because there weren't many people there, that we could go right up close to the building. And so we did. We parked, and we jumped in, went in, had fun for a couple hours. And when we came out, the place was packed. There were so many people trying to get in. Um, and so we thought, wow, good time to, to be leaving instead of coming in. And we went to jump in our vehicle. Of course, it's super hot, super humid there. And we went down the first lane, and we didn't see our car. Oh, that's weird. I'm pretty sure we parked over here. And we went to down the second lane and we didn't see our car, and I thought, that's weird. Third lane, didn't see it. Fourth lane, didn't see it. And I tell Tara at this point, okay, where in the world is our car? And I say, okay, you and Silas, you go over there. I'll go over here. We will look for our car. It's got to be somewhere around here. Deep down, I'm thinking, what if, what if this thing was stolen? And, and so, um, She goes, and she's looking way over here. Now we're like way far away from the building. We're like, we know we didn't park way out here. And she's taking all these lanes, and I'm taking this lane. And I'm just looking several times. I'm just pulling back. and like, where could we have possibly parked? Because there were not that many cars when we first came in. And now it's just packed full of people and cars. And finally, as I went back to the building, right next to the building, and we were going to, I was going to go in there and tell them that my car was stolen. I, um... I stumbled upon our car, literally right there at the entrance. We walked by it probably five times. The only way we would have found that car was by stopping about ten times and looking and, and, and seeing the landscape and saying, where are we and where? what did it look like when, when there were no cars in here, now compared to all the cars, and it was just so elementary, it was silly. But we had to do it. And I think for some of us, um, we can get to cruising in this relationship with God and years can pass by and we can go to church and and then all of a sudden things will happen, hardships will happen, and you'll think you were doing pretty good with God. You'll think that your relationship was solid and then something will will make you have a hiccup, make you look at your relationship with him and say, maybe I wasn't doing so good. Maybe I wasn't even close to where I thought I was. And it's good sometimes, uh, instead of waiting for the hardship, to make you have a spiritual heart check, to make you, make you schedule a, a heart doctor appointment, to just pull back and say, you know what, I'm just going to take a Wednesday night. We're going to jump in Ecclesiastes, and Solomon's going to help us to, to ask ourselves some questions. Um, and that's what we hope to do tonight. So as you look at where you were in your old life and, and where you want to be as you follow Christ, uh, these might seem like some random questions, uh, but they can be super beneficial for us tonight. So let's do a little heart check. Sound good? All right, sounds good, they say now. I'll ask you all that after a while. Verse 15, Solomon says, Now I have seen everything in this meaningless life. Sounds like he's, he's seen a lot. Including the death of good young people and the long life of wicked people. You ever seen that? You ever see people who you thought, they were doing good. Why would they die? Why do, why does uh, the woman get breast cancer and die? Why does the guy get cancer and die? Why do people die in car accidents? Why do some of the worst people in the world live long lives and get away with all kinds of atrocities? Why? First question we're going to ask ourselves is do you live by karma? Do you live by karma? Of course, this is made famous by both Hindus and Buddhists because uh, they believe as a core tenet of their faith in karma. Karma is the idea that all of us get what we deserve. You ever heard the saying that what goes around comes around, right? That we reap what we sow. Now, you might hear that and say, "Well, isn't that kind of biblical, though?" It is. There's an element of karma that's got some truth to it, right? That there is part of it that is true, but not all of it because it doesn't account. For everything You see, the problem with karma, the idea that you get what you deserve, if you play by the rules, if you follow the rules, good things will happen for you in life. If you don't do good, then, then you're going to have a bad life. The problem with that idea is that it leaves out at least three pretty major things. And I would say that those three things would be, number one, a fallen world. You ever have someone break into your car? you're doing good, everything was fine, you get out from work and you see someone busted in your car, stole your radio, or someone breaks into your home, does something, someone is, is driving drunk and they crash into someone that you know and maybe they are injured or killed. Like, there's just crime. People have health issues, they have, they have, again, cancer, they have all kinds of things that, that happen. And we wonder why does this happen to a lot of people who seem like they're doing just fine. Well, Jesus tells a story in the in the Gospels um, that essentially God makes it rain on both the righteous and the wicked. And there's an element of just being alive and on earth that all of humanity will get a taste in the fallen brokenness of this planet. This planet, as the scripture says, is groaning out the earthquakes, the pains, as, as growth, um, as birth pains as it yearns to be redeemed by God. Just living on planet earth, um, it doesn't always mean you do bad, bad things happen. You do good, good things happen. Sometimes things just come out of nowhere because this world is broken. Number two, karma doesn't take into consideration the sovereignty of God. You say, well, why would someone who's pretty decent at life, someone who's maybe even a solid Christian making an impact for the kingdom, why would they die young Why does Billy Joel have to sing that song? Why is that true? Sometimes God's plan for each individual life doesn't match up with what karma would say it should match up with. According to karma, we would all, if we do good, live long lives and everything would be wonderful. And it just doesn't work that way because God is sovereign and every human was created for his glory. And some of the ways that we will die and live, it just looks different than what we had planned. So karma doesn't, doesn't atone for the fact that God's sovereign and he can rearrange pieces however he wants. And number three, karma doesn't take into account the grace of God. This is the beauty of the gospel, that we don't get what we deserve. We deserve death as sinners, but Jesus took that on the cross. And what he deserved was life because he's holy and he's perfect, And he gives that to us, and he exchanges our sin for his righteousness. As Martin Luther says, it's the great exchange. It doesn't make sense. It completely wipes out karma. Completely wipes out karma. Do you live by karma? You see, most of us would say, yeah, that sounds like a Hindu thing. That sounds like a Buddhist thing. Uh, Theologically, I don't agree with karma. But functionally, do you operate daily (laughs) under karma? Like when you're um around people and you see that bad things are happening to them or happened to them, do you automatically assume they must have done something bad to get that? And when good things happen to people, do you think, gosh, they must be a pretty darn good person? They must they must be doing better than I, I realized. Because God seems to be blessing them. Like some of them, they have good businesses, and they have good careers, and they they make money, and they have nice houses, and surely those people are doing something good, and I just got to be as good as those people to get what they have. See, if you live by karma, it's going to be miserable. I I remember when Tara and I and and Silas, we were in Moab uh, not terribly long ago, and if you ever around national parks, you know that people from all over the world come to national parks. And specifically in Utah, you'll see people speaking all kinds of different languages and from all over the world. And we were pulling in one morning to um, get some breakfast in this pancake place. We're about to have a good time. And the parking lot's small and it's crammed um, just full of a few cars. And as we got out of ours, we saw someone behind us was trying to pull into a spot. And you could tell it was a bunch of teenagers from Possibly a different country, and as they had their, as they got out later, they were all speaking a different language, and we assume that might be the case. So coming into America, it could be hard for them to be um, learning how to drive and and whatnot, and and particularly in this tiny parking lot. Anyway, they're driving, and we just watch them as they try to pull in to their spot, and and instead of pulling in, they just just run into the car in front of them that's already parked. Like they just bonk. And we just heard it go bonk and it didn't break. Nothing was crazy. Both cars were okay, but they just, they just hit the car. And we just watched them. And, of course, there's windows, and everyone eating their pancakes and stuff are, are able to look out. And this car, just on the front row, just bonked into another car, backed up. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, no, he didn't. Like, oh, this is going to be good. Something's going to happen. This doesn't end well for anyone. You don't hit someone in a tiny parking lot with a big window that everyone's looking through, and then everyone's like, nope, oh, everything's fine. Let's just eat pancakes. And Like, no, they're going to get in trouble. They just backed up. After bonking into that cart, and they just kept going back in it. Finally, they pulled in. They didn't even like turn around and leave. They just pulled in, they got out, they went in and ate their pancakes. And we watched the whole time as nothing ever happened. That was it. That's the end of the story. Like, they, we were just like, I was like, oh man, I feel like I should say something. But I'm like, no, you can't say nothing. And I'm like, I feel like I should say something. Man, no, you can't say nothing. They just ate their pancakes. And they all just went on talking, and life went on, and everyone left, and it was normal. I was like, that just is weird. Why does the world work that way? But it does. And you see all through the Bible, different sides of this story. There's people who live righteously and good things happen to them. There's some that live horrible and bad things happen to them. But then there's guys like David, who is a murderer and an adulterer, and yet he's called someone who's after God's own heart. And then you got Job, who's a righteous man, and yet he loses everything. And you see this Story in heaven of God talking to the devil, and the devil says, "Can I, can I mess with your people?" And he says, "Have you considered my servant Job?" It's like what it wasn't like the devil got one by on God. God was like, "Have you have you considered my servant Job?" It just doesn't make sense. You see, some of us um, we hear the gospel. We know about grace, and we know that we deserve death, and that Jesus took it for us. And we hear all this stuff, and it breaks the barriers and the idea of what karma is. And we say, no, karma doesn't fit within Christianity. But our whole walk, if some of us were honest, on a daily basis, is built on karma. How many of you, when you thought you were doing good, you were trying to obey God, you know you're not perfect, but you're better than you used to be, and then something bad happened to your life and immediately got mad at God? So why would you do that? I was trying to please you. You know I'm doing better than I used to. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm doing all right. You ever felt that way? For some of us, it's thrown us into a theological tailspin. Especially when the Bible accounts for, you look at the Mosaic covenant, Moses for 1,500 years until Jesus fulfills this covenant. Andy talked about it a couple weeks ago. In Deuteronomy 28-31, through it says the blessings and curses of this covenant. And you know what they are? You know what God tells the people in Israel? He says, if you follow me and obey me, you will live a long life and things will go well for you. But if you don't, things will go horrible for you. So we look at that and we're like, makes sense. Isn't that kind of how we live? We're not under the Mosaic covenant anymore. And karma doesn't work anymore. It didn't really back then. It doesn't now. You say, well, okay, but I I don't think that it probably impacts me and how I view other people and and try to make disciples and, and be a minister of God. But let me ask you this. When you're talking to people in your life and trying to help them, when they screw up, you know, one too many times, and they got drama, 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 do you bail on them? Now, some people you might need to walk away from at times. But if you only walk away from people and you don't find yourself ever showing grace to people, giving them second chances, recognizing, yeah, they deserve bad things because they did bad things, then then you don't understand the gospel. Let me ask you this. When, when you see the poor and oppressed and you know via scripture that we're supposed to take care of the poor and oppressed, you see a homeless man, do you automatically think to yourself, I don't want to help him because he probably did something bad to get there. And if I give him some money, he'll probably do something bad with the money I give him. Probably drugs and alcohol. Probably, like, How many of you have thought that in your mind? That's living by karma. Did you cheer when old Bin Laden died? That's living by karma. The better way is to recognize we got an upside-down kingdom. The kingdom of God is a beautiful kingdom, but it's really hard for us who still want to live by karma. Because we recognize everyone around us, including ourselves, deserve bad things. Because we all make mistakes. But we're to show grace and to show love and compassion and mercy. Because Jesus shattered karma on the cross. He gave us what we don't deserve, grace. That's the nature of grace. And he took death in our place. Do you live by karma? That's the first question. Verse 16. Solomon goes on. Verses 16 through 19, he says, and this is kind of confusing. So don't be too good or too wise. Why destroy yourself? On the other hand, don't be too wicked either. Don't be a fool. Why die before your time? That all makes sense, right? (laughs) Pay attention to these instructions, for anyone who fears God will avoid both extremes. One person, one wise person, is stronger than ten leading citizens of a town. Second question you've got to ask yourself tonight is, do you let the moral pendulum swing? Do you let the moral pendulum pendulum swing. So you might ask yourself first, like, what is he saying in verses 16 and 17? Is he saying, like, don't be too good, but don't be too bad? So is he saying, do good and bad in moderation? Like, how many of you would tell your kids, hey, don't be too good today? No, none of us would say that, right? But we got to understand, verses 16 and 17, they're all in context of verse 15. And verse 15 is, man, sometimes good people, sometimes... Solid people, they die young, and it doesn't make sense. And wicked people, they, they live a long time, and that doesn't make sense. It doesn't jive. So what he's talking about is really the prodigal son. say, what does that have to do with anything? Well, you look at the way that people live. And you see Jesus telling the story of the prodigal son. And there's one brother who he is religious and he is devoted. And he does all these different things for his father. And he seems to be the good kid. And then you got the rebel, the one who uh, squanders everything. And takes all that his dad gave him and in his inheritance. And he throws it away. And then he's embraced again by his dad. And you see the rebel and the religious. And you see these two different worlds and ways that people live. Tim Keller, pastor in... New York City wrote a whole book about how you and I, we tend to have either the rebel or the religious in us. And we're going to turn to one or the other. What are you? You see, if you, um, in reading verse 15, say, well, <clears throat> I don't understand why good people die young sometimes and bad people live a long time like you're going to either say one or two things why try because none of it none of it even matters like why even try to honor God and to live a good moral life and to do what he says because it apparently doesn't matter because living and obeying the rules isn't going to necessarily give you a good life but on the other hand that same thought could make you say you know what I'm actually, instead of rebelling, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try harder. And I'm going to lock myself in and I'm going to be spiritually disciplined and I'm going to work harder and try to be religious and devoted and, and, and man, I'm going to make God love me. I'm going to make God like me. So you find yourself either the rebel or the religious. And what Solomon's ultimately saying here is there's two extremes. And so don't fall under one of those. Don't, don't abuse grace by being a rebel and saying, well, what does it even matter if you don't even know if you're going to live or die when you're young or old? Like, you, you can't tell the impact of your actions sometimes. God's sovereign. He's going to do whatever he wants anyway. He says, don't, don't abuse grace. Solomon's ultimate saying, don't, don't abuse grace. But don't go without the knowledge of grace. You see, the rebel, he cheapens grace, but the religious acts like he doesn't need grace. What do you do when you get frustrated at God? When the things that happen in your life, the things that happen at work, the things that happen at home, the things you see on the news don't make sense and you get irritated and you think, I can't figure God out and how he does things. Do you find yourself pulling in and saying, no, I'm going to be as religious as possible and make him love me? Or do you say, you know what? I'm not even going to mess with it. I'm just going to live how I want and do whatever I want. Solomon's saying, if you fear God and you want to walk with him, you're not going to fall to either extreme. You're not going to fall to either extreme. It's easy. <clears throat> it's easy to see one of these extremes as bad. The rebel, right? We see that from a mile away. It's kind of like um, we were, when we were at the beach. Um, y'all are going to be jealous because I'm going to tell you all our good vacation stories here. But we were at the beach and everyone was standing out of the water because there was jellyfish and there was little sharks and manta rays, stingrays. There's just a whole kinds of weird sea creatures. Um, there, so We had a beach full of people, but not many people in the water. And then all of a sudden, the Coast Guard starts coming in. And they drive their little beach buggy thing up there. And then their big trucks come. And then a boat's coming. And they're pulling a raft with more Coast Guard people. And you're thinking, wow, they are like, this is Baywatch. This is crazy. What is going on? And they see someone way out there. And people are like, "Yeah, hey, he's there. And the crowd kind of gathers. And oh, we're looking in the distance. It looks like there's this little yellow thing out there. And, and then Tara's like, no, I think it's red or whatever. And I'm like, oh, so, I'm sure surely that's nothing. Surely that's not. They buzz out there. And after a few minutes, they come pulling back a whole family, a mom, dad, and a little girl who were on a big old pink flamingo inflatable that had drifted out to sea. And somebody sees them out there, just a speck on the water and calls the Coast Guard. Think, of, think about what that family was feeling. Thinking like there's no way we're we're it's it's gone. Like it's over. If someone doesn't call in and not knowing, does anyone see us? Does anyone do people think that we're doing this on purpose? Like they were obviously shaken. You say, what does what does it have to do with anything? You see, because we had all those people standing there saying, It's really easy to see the guy way out there as being in trouble. It's easy to see the rebel who runs far from God and say, You're obviously got issues, but yet the religious stand on the shoreline just as capable of missing that gospel and yet trying to do all the right things trying to stay safe, trying to play it safe, stay there and say, I'm just going to be where I'm supposed to be. I'm not doing what the bad guys do. I'm just going to be a good person. And God's saying, you got to understand, when Jesus was on earth, he stood in the middle and he said uh, that he was the fullness of, of grace and truth. He says to the woman at the well, I see your life and your rebellion and it's not okay in God's eyes. And yet he sees the religious and the Pharisees and he says, and what you're doing is just as bad. And his whole ministry is calling out the rebel and the religious. Do you swing from one to the other? Solomon's saying, don't do it. Be temperate. Recognize that grace (laughs) covers you knowing you can't ever be good enough for God. You can't do enough. So you've got to trust the gospel is enough. And grace at the same time prompts you and says, But strive to reflect the holiness of Christ. Don't neglect his commands. Verse 20. He says, Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Third question Are you self righteous? Do you believe you're a sinner? See, everyone sins. Romans says that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 1 John says that we've all sinned, and he's talking to Christians, and he says if you don't confess that you're a sinner, then you're a liar. If you don't believe you got sin, you're a liar. So we have what we call a sin nature Back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned and they were kicked out of the garden, everything seemed to change. Instead of being able to walk with animals and to, to, to um, be without shame, all of a sudden they found themselves naked and they found some, themselves shameful and, and animals were able to eat people and things went wrong and bad and twisted. And you say, how do we know animals couldn't eat people before? Because they couldn't die. People couldn't die. Adam and Eve couldn't die. Death wasn't in the picture. They were just walking with God and taking care of God's creation. And everything broke. Everything fell. And we call this the fall. And it changed the very nature of man. When we see Adam and Eve's eyes open to the idea that, wow, I see myself as naked now. I see, I see my my shame and it went so far beyond that. Their identity was broken. Their understanding of God and life and everything was broken. It's twisted. And we are born as sinners, but we're sinners by choice. We've all chosen to sin. You can choose to sin by commission or omission. There's sins of commission, meaning you have chosen in your life, just like I have, to do bad things at various times. And there's sins of omission, being that there's a standard that God has for every human being. He tells us all to do things, and we have not done them so you can sin by what you do and you can sin by what you don't do. But we're all going to sin. You say, okay, 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 okay. I know this is really encouraging. I get it. We get, we, we're sinners. But do you really believe that? Because each one of us has a spiritual foundation and part of that, understanding the good news of the gospel is only good news if you realize the bad news of the fall. If your foundation for the gospel is built on something other than our sin nature or the understanding we are fallen people, then the gospel will never be good news to you. It'll never be good news to you. And, and you say, what, what does all that have to do? Because daily, I'm telling you, it changes the way that you think about your life. If you think that I'm pretty much a good person, I just need to be tweaked a little bit, I need some adjustments in my life, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much a good person, then you will always feel guilty when you fail. Because who's to blame? If you are inherently good, but you don't live up to people's standards, you don't do everything that's perfect, you will look at yourself and say, I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. And it will lead you to frustration, and it will lead you to guilt, and the enemy loves it because he'll poke holes in you all day long. But if you, on the flip side, you say, no, I recognize I do bad things and I never understood why I do bad things. But then you stumble upon this book and it says you're broken. Inherently, you're not good. Your righteous deeds are like filthy rags in the sight of God that every, every man has a wicked heart. Then all of a sudden, you find freedom in that. I know it sounds crazy, but you find freedom because you're like, oh, that's why I do stupid things. And that's why even when I follow or want to follow God, I still fall short that's why every time I get pumped up about the gospel and Christ and his church and serving people then I find myself doing something else that's stupid and oh all of this makes sense when you realize that inherently you're not good and the reason that makes so much impact in your life is because if you think inherently I'm pretty good I just need tweaked then the gospel doesn't do much for you Because you'll say, I want Jesus, but you won't give your life fully to him. And you won't have full transformation. Because you're holding on to what you perceive as good inside of you. And he's saying, unless you lay all of your life down, you're not going to see much change. But for the person who who stands there and says, God, have mercy on me. I am broken. I need you. And you recognize, even as a Christian, I need need God. I always need God. There's never going to be a time where I don't need God then all of a sudden you find yourself seeking Jesus and you find yourself having grace with other people because you realize we're all works in progress. And when you see the brokenness of the way that people treat you and when you're at work and you have coworkers, you have customers who do stupid things and when you have bosses who act goofy ways and when your family lets you down and when your kids are crazy, all of a sudden you're like, this makes sense. This makes sense. If I thought we were all pretty good people, I'd be like, this don't make sense. We're doing stupid stuff but recognizing we're all broken. We all need Jesus. I don't have to wonder why we're doing broken things. I can just seek Jesus. How many of you are in a place where you realize that that you don't have to try to justify why the world is broken? You just trust it. I get it. It's broken. And so now, instead of saying, are we broken or are we not? You can just say, we all need Jesus. There's freedom in that. If you're not there though, it's miserable. It's miserable. We're in a hotel, and we're eating breakfast. We finished eating breakfast, and Silas and Tara, they, they hung out for a bit, and I was going to go upstairs, get in scripture a little bit before we took off, and as I was going up to the elevator, I saw this older gentleman uh, walking towards me, and he had like an orange juice and a cup of coffee, and then he had like some kind of yogurt or whatever, and then he had like a two sausage patty biscuit, thing that he had created from the the breakfast thing. One of those was like, ooh, I wish I had that. And then you realize he just just threw a bunch of food together and made it. And he's he's walking up behind me and I see him, obviously, and I'm like, oh okay. Um push the, the little elevator bell. And he, he just he doesn't say anything to me, he just kinda of grumbles to himself. He says, Oh thank God. And I'm just like okay. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and and so we get in the elevator. I'm thinking at this point, he kind of, he'll say something to me like, hey, thanks for that. But he doesn't. He stands over here and the door is here and I'm standing here. But I thought, okay, we're going up just one floor. Um, I'm obviously going to be courteous and when the door opens I'm going to stand back let him go. And you do this number like, oh, no, you first, sir. Well, the door opens and he just goes for it. He did not even like care. I'm like, that's weird. How rude. What's going on here? And, and then he's walking down the hall and we just happen to be going towards the same direction and, and I'm standing behind him and he's just right in the middle going super slow so I can't really get around him. I'm like, it's all good, you know. Um I'll just I'll just wait here and, and then as we get closer to his door I see he's got another conundrum. How's he gonna get into his room with the hotel? But he's got his hands full. So either you gotta do this weird like, I'm gonna put my fresh food on the hotel floor <laughs> Or, like, what's your game plan? And so I'm thinking, oh, i got to help him some way. And so I come around to help him, and he does this number, boom, boom, his biscuit falls on the ground, sausage all over, it's all tore up. Now, I feel sorry for this old man. He's in his pajamas and stuff, and I'm thinking, oh, gosh, dude, what are you doing? And so I, but I get down, I help, I clean everything up, and I say, man, can I get you another sausage, and... Sausage patty thing, and he's like, No, 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 no. I'm like, No, that's all good, it's all good. And then I start oh, heading back downstairs. I'm like, I'm gonna get you one. I'm gonna come and I'm trying to figure out logistics with him. Like, you want me to just put it by your door? Or he's like, No, 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 don't do it. And then I say, oh, I'm serious, I'm gonna get you one. It's okay. And he just says, No, I'm insisting you do not get me another one. I was like, He is, he's having a hard day. He goes inside, and that, that was it. Now, let me make the transition into a spiritual truth. Sorry, you get what you pay for and this is free. Um, That's what a lot of us are like when we come to Jesus and we think we just need a little adjustment and we don't need to just lay it down and say, I can't do this. As we find ourselves juggling the drama in our life and we're we're constantly thinking, well, God, if you just help me in my situation right now, God, I just need a little bit of you right now. I just need help here. If you could just kind of tell me right now, God, just bail me out of the bad stuff and kind of guide me in the stuff that I got. I got my own plan. I just need you a little bit here instead of just a full surrender. Then we're constantly frustrated. We're grumpy, angry people wondering, why is my life not changing? And you just need someone to come alongside you and maybe tonight it's Solomon saying, maybe you can't juggle all this on your own. Maybe you shouldn't have two coffees and a big biscuit sandwich in your hand with some yogurt on top. Are you seeing the parallels? If you don't believe that we're broken and that we're sinful, but that God redeems us and saves us and can give us a new heart and change us, Then you always think you need a tweak, just an adjustment, and you'll miss the whole thing. I'll just say this before we move on to our last point. Some of us tonight would say, with our mouths, I recognize I'm a sinner. But let me ask you, do you really believe it? Do you do you really think that you actually got flaws still? Some of us, we, we've become spiritually cocky in that we hear sermons like this. And, and at best, we're just going to take some goofy story about a sausage patty falling on the floor and say, I'll remember that, but you don't really care about the sin nature stuff because you heard that a thousand times. And, and, and the problem is, is that If you find yourself spiritually cocky, it's probably because you've gotten to a point where you've looked at your coworkers and you've looked at your friends and your family and the people on Facebook and the drama and you started to compare yourself to others. and and you start to look pretty good to them, and you think, I'm probably doing better in life than most of my coworkers right now. She parties, she's drunk all the time, her boyfriend's crazy, so I don't have that as much. I feel like I'm pretty good. Well, my neighbors are crazy. My family, whew, I'm not the craziest anymore, thank God. And all of a sudden, you get spiritually arrogant, and God's saying, well, here's the problem. At Judgment Day, you're not compared to your neighbors, you're compared to the holiness of God, and we all fall short. If you, if you deeply grasp that, you'll fall on your face and you'll seek Jesus because you know I can't adjust, tweak, or juggle anymore. I'm not good enough. And that's the best news I've heard all day because Jesus is good enough. Last but not least, spiritual heart check. Do we believe in karma? Are we moral extremists? Now we're self-righteous. Last one we see here in verse 21 and 22. You know, here's here's what I love about this. We're going to talk about eavesdropping. If I was just preaching randomly, what we call topically, where I just pick topics out of the Bible and, and come to you with it, like I don't know that I would ever be like, you know what, I've been praying and I feel like the church needs to hear about eavesdropping tonight. Unless something really weird happened that would be impossible for me not to share in front of all of you. Like, Why would we ever cover this topic? And when we go verse by verse through books of the Bible, we're forced, number one, for me to be a good pastor and give you the whole counsel of God even the things I might not necessarily want to cover. And it gives you uh, the chance to see things that the scripture says um, without being able to avoid it. And I I just love that. Verse 20, Don't eavesdrop on others. You may hear your servant curse you, for you know how often you yourself have cursed others. Isn't it funny that most of our insecurities come from not what other people do, but what we do? Most of our insecurities come from Well, I think you might judge me. You might not like me. You might think bad thoughts about me. Not because we know they do those things, but because we know we do those things. And we just assume they're probably as jacked up as me, or at least I fear they are. (laughs) It's funny that what you think about others usually tells you more about yourself than it does them. That's a whole other sermon. The last question, are you a people pleaser? Are you an approval junkie? Are you a people pleaser? Some of us, um, we know we are. Apparently 3,000 years ago, eavesdropping was, a, was, a, was an issue. <laughs> For it to make this book, Solomon saw it. You can picture him being in his temple. You can picture him being in his palace and having all his servants, all his people talking and how they would act in front of him compared to how they would act around just their peers. And, and from time to time, he probably snuck around a corner, opened a door, and heard maybe the higher-ups in command Maybe those who weren't so high saying things about the king made him think, oh, you have no idea what I could do to you right now. But in front of his face, they probably acted great, right? And his advice is, don't listen. (laughs) Don't listen. It's only going to hurt you because you know how jacked up you are. And if they're like you, that's going to be bad. You see, here's the thing. There have been people pleasers and approval junkies since this whole thing went south back in Genesis. But I don't know that it's ever been more difficult to be a people pleaser or an approval junkie than in 2017. Because you got social media. Think about just a couple hundred years ago. You ain't got email, you ain't got social media. You can't see people's pics, their profile info. You can't see um, what they just tweeted. Like you don't hear from some people. So you're just not, you're, you're around who you're around, but you can't overhear many other people. But now you go on a date with someone, and you're like, I wonder what they thought about me. Boom, just check their Twitter twenty seconds later. You, you you want to know how your boss is feeling? He won't tell you, but he'll Facebook something weird about how his day went. You see people's pictures. You ever just been scrolling through like a news feed, and you see like some vacation pics or something from a family? You're just like, gosh, I feel uncomfortable. I feel like I'm I'm in your world. Like there just 20 years ago I'd have to be on your, your kitchen or your, your uh, living room couch like showing me your your albums to, to get this. Now I'm just scrolling. You don't even know me. We became friends like five years ago because I thought you were cute and we I friended you and now you're married and I don't want to be with you but like I still have access to your stuff and I just feel like I'm in your world and it's weird. Eavesdropping through social media is so easy. Tara's wondering. She's like, who did you friend five years ago? Because we've been married if I'm doing the math more than... I'm, I got a friend who told me about a story. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> she had that look on her face. I thought, I better, I better explain it or make a joke. One or the other. But with all this access to everyone's life, the opportunity for rejection is more than ever. Because you get to see how people feel about you. Because you know everyone has way more guts when they're behind a screen Or the wheel? Like everyone's, everyone's, when they're in a message board or a forum, they all got guts. When they're behind Twitter, they all got guts. Everyone, when they got that phone in front of their face, they're going to say things that they wouldn't say to your face. And so... You find more than ever, people who struggle with people-pleasing, they're just devastated because rejection could be everywhere. Tara and I, we were driving down the road. I was feeling good. Um, we were going from Mississippi to Alabama. It was beach day. We just left our friends in Mississippi, and we were going to the beach, and it was going to be fun. And she's like, oh, I didn't know this church was in Salina. i was like, well, I didn't recognize the name. Yeah, it looks like it must just be a little church startup thing. I was like, how do you even know about that? Oh, because these people are now going there. These people were people I was discipling last week. People in our church. And it's like now they're a part of another church. And it just, like, it just gets me. I said, I said, I feel sick to my stomach right now. Not that they would be at another church, but that they would just, just bail quickly and, and just go do something else. And like knowing, why do they do that? They probably do that because of me. And you're like, that breaks your heart but it makes you feel insecure. If you've even got a little bit of people pleaser in you, that's going to make you sick. You ever, um, ever just scrolled through your news feed and you saw someone that said you should add them as a friend, and you're like, I thought I was friends with them, and you clicked on them, and then you realized they unfriended me. And all of a sudden, you just feel sick to your stomach. Like, you know what? I, if I had a choice, I wouldn't want to be your friend to begin with. But now I really want to be your friend because you unfriended me. But I don't want to be your friend, but I do. And I'm really confused. And I'm just angry. Why did you do that? You married this guy. Solomon says, just ignore it. Don't seek it. Be careful. If you find yourself seeking it. And so what What does that mean for us? Is it... Back to the social media, if, if you think to yourself, I'm going to post this picture, I'm going to post this little quirky saying, I'm going to say something cute because why, ultimately, I want someone to like it, I want someone to comment. Don't do it. You want people to talk about you? Don't worry, they're talking about you. If you go chasing for it, for everyone that likes your cool picture or, or whatever saying that you threw up there that you stole from someone else, there's people who aren't going to like you that's just a reality. Like even as a pastor of, of a church, I realize and, and I come to terms with, there are people who like me, but there's people who don't like me. There's probably people who would never go to a church that I'm a part of just because of me. They don't like the way I look, the way I act, the way I speak, the way I lead. It could be a million reasons. Solomon's saying, ignore it. Don't seek after. Don't eavesdrop. Don't try to see how, what other people think about you you might just be devastated. Because ultimately, you know what you say about people when you get in the car and it's just you and your spouse. You know what you think about people when you're at home and everyone's gone and you're seeing what they did and you're saying out loud, I can't believe they posted that. They're at their bedroom. They're in their living room saying the same stuff. Stop it. Say, isn't it okay though to be liked? Yeah, but we don't really want people to like us, do we? Deep down, we want them to define us. Deep, deep down, we want someone to tell us that we're good enough. We want someone to tell us that we're something special. We, we don't. Being liked is not enough for humanity. That's got a hole in our hearts. And if Jesus isn't enough for you. You'll always have the devastation of rejection when you're looking at what people think about me. It's a beautiful freedom to be able to know I've got all that I need in Jesus and I truly believe that and experience that. And when people say they like me or don't like me, I can be thankful, but, but I, don't, I don't have to let it ruin me or ruin my day. It's kind of like handing over the keys of your identity to the world when you jump on social media because they can say whatever they want about you. It's like monkeys at the zoo. They tend to throw something at each other. You get on social media and you see them throwing the same junk. You say, okay, eh, Ryan, why are you talking about this? This whole people pleaser thing. Let me just share this real quick. The other day I was reading a, an, an article. You could tell it was a really hard um, article to have been written. A dad wrote about it. Uh, he wrote about his 10-year-old girl. And he said, here's the gist of what was happening. I live in a city of 5,000. I don't know what state he was in. Don't know what city he was in. He wouldn't say those things. And he wrote this super long article saying, I lived in this city, and, and I knew the people that my daughter hung out with, and I love my daughter, and we had a close relationship, and everything was good. Everything was wonderful. He told the whole backstory about it. He said he knew where she was when she was with friends, and they were honest. They had an open relationship. Everything was good. He said one night... She went over to stay overnight with a friend's house, said the parents were great, they knew him. everything was great. He he tried to text her, and she didn't respond, tried to call the parents that didn't hear from him, let it go for a couple hours. 10.30 that night, the police come with his daughter. Say, we found her. And says that she and her friend, who was 12, were abducted by a sexual predator who lives one mile away in this little town of 5,000. An older man who had been grooming them via social media for a number of weeks and months had conned them into getting them to come to a local park and then he took them and he tried to hurt them and she had run away but she got lost in the woods and they just happened to be driving by the police and found her. So she's shaking and she's crying and all of a sudden his world fell apart and he explains in this long article over the next few months how the police showed him all of her social media, the Snapchat stuff, all of the things where this guy came in and tried to trick. And these two little girls, 10 and 12, were in love with him. And I say all this to say, the craziness that that family experienced, this guy getting charges pressed, going to jail, and the daughter even after that horrible experience, wanting to contact him so bad, trying to contact him over and over, 10-year-old girl, and the dad said, you want to know what this guy was saying to her? To make her lose all trust in her own family, the cops, everyone in her life, to just lay it all down and to follow this guy who obviously wanted to hurt her. He just told her via Snapchat that she was pretty, that she was cute, that she was special. That's it. Wasn't hypnosis? Wasn't years of just indoctrination of craziness? He just took a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old who had normal lives with parents who loved them and knew that they weren't secure in their identity and they all, every one of us, wants people to love us and approve of us and we want to please people because we want people to tell us we are somebody and he just did it. He just said you're special. And they gave up everything for that. You might say, that's really sad, but I'm not them. Really? You look over the last five, ten years of your life and see the heartbreak you've experienced when it comes to trying to find approval in other people living up to their standards, pleasing people, not able to say no to people. Think about the stress you've had every time you couldn't say no. You know the beautiful thing, we don't have to worry about that with God. That we know because of the gospel exactly where we stand with him. That Jesus makes it very clear. He's not playing mind games with us. He's not tricking us. He's not deceiving us. He's saying, I created you. All things were created in me and through me and for me. And so whoever creates you gets to define you. That's how it works in the Bible. And so God tells us who we are. In case you forgot, let me just read to you a little bit of what the Scripture says you are as a Christian. Scripture says that you're more than a conqueror, says that you're a holy nation, says that you're a chosen people, that you, if you're found in Christ or a royal priesthood, that you are a child of God, that you are a son or daughter of the King, that you are a member of the family of God, the household of God, that you are a co-heir with Christ, that you are a servant of Jesus, you're a slave to Jesus and his grace. You are a citizen of heaven. You are called his beloved, his body, his workmanship, his church, his possession, his soldiers, his bride, his saints, his temple, and his righteousness. You are called salt and light. You are called a city on a hill. You are called a friend of God. He says you are born again. You are new creation. You are ambassadors of Christ and you are ministers of the gospel of reconciliation. The Bible says a whole lot about who you are. And that's good news. Because you don't ever have to fight for God's approval. You can't ever earn it and you can't ever screw this thing up. You can't screw this thing up. When your behavior's not perfect, his behavior's perfect and it all covers us. His blood, his grace, and his righteousness. You gotta understand Only one can truly please the Father, and that's Jesus. You don't have to be a people pleaser. You don't have to be an approval junkie. But just in case you are, you need to know the Father is pleased with you. He loves you and he likes you. If you're found in Jesus, you get everything in Jesus. Not a little bit, everything. And Ephesians says that we have every spiritual blessing in heaven. We have it in Christ Jesus. Let that define you. Let's pray.